Hallelujah. Turn with me, if you would, to Joshua chapter one. We started there last night because uh, God's telling us how to have success in life. And Joshua chapter one, God was telling Joshua what him and the people were going to have to do to arrive at where God had planned for their lives to be. And God has a plan for every one of us. And if we're going to arrive at the fullness of that plan, if we'll take the path they took, we'll get, uh, we'll get to the end of what we're born for. Amen. Amen. And so uh, we talked about last night uh, this scripture and uh, it was talking about uh, really at the onset of, of, um, of Joshua's uh, ministry as leader. He had a ministry as a servant to the man of God, but now his position was, was changing. And uh, at the beginning, God was giving him the formula for success. Yes. And in Joshua chapter one, verse eight, it says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. So thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein for then, then after all this. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So we can't arrive at prosperity or success in God's definition without having done everything that is, is named in this verse. And if it will get a nation into the fullness of what God has for them, what do you think it'll do for an individual? If this prescription will work for a whole nation. How about a whole family? Amen. Amen. How much more so? And so God was telling Joshua, you're going to have to get this in the people, get it in you, get it in the people. And notice this, that this was one of the most critical uh, seasons of Joshua's life. How he started would determine the, the process he took. He had to start out right. And uh, you may be facing a very critical season. In different times of your life, you will face critical seasons. And I want you to know uh, when Joshua, Joshua didn't know what to do to get him in. No, that's right. Why? Because uh, he already told them God's word and it just didn't, they didn't, they didn't choose it. And so that first generation uh, didn't arrive. Well, how do you get it? I mean, we offered it to that generation. They wouldn't take it. And so God is telling them, here are the prescribed steps to get them in faith so that they will move with my word for their life. Yes. So if this is the prescription for a very critical time of life, even when he could say, Father, I don't know how to get them in. Moses couldn't get them in. I don't know how to get them in from here. There are going to be times in your life that you're going to say naturally, I don't know how. How? Right. I don't know how. This verse is how. Yeah. Amen. That's right. Amen. When you say, I don't know how to receive my healing, this verse is how. When you say, I don't know how to get out of my financial problem, this verse is how. Can I tell you what? This is what Jesus preached in Mark 11. Yes. It's the exact same right. prescription. Yes. Jesus lived this way. The word was in his mouth. He was the word, but he yes. spoke the word. Yes. To every situation. How was he so effective with speaking the word? Because it was the way he thought. Right. Amen. Amen. And uh, then he acted in line with the word. So last night we began talking about the first step that God prescribed for them. If they were going to have success, 
if they were going to enter into what he had authored for them, he said the first step, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Proverbs said this, he said, it, it, the writer of Proverbs in the Amplified it said this, that if you think sin or if you think wrong, put your hand over your mouth. It's one thing for it to be in the mind. It takes it to a whole nother level for it to be in the mouth. And uh, you better deal with something that's not right thinking while it's in the thinking realm before it reaches the verbal arena. Amen. And so uh, what people are saying is really what they're thinking. And we don't want to be guilty of just knowing the lingo of faith and saying the words, but there's no guts behind it. Listen, as a pastor, I have trained our congregation and the other congregations how to talk, what to say. And I know through 25 years of pastoring, some people learned what was the appropriate speech and they would come up to me and they would tell me something they were facing and they would say, but I know what the word says. The word says that by his stripes I'm healed. But there was a panic in the voice. There was a tear in the voice. There was the fear, the sound of fear. There were the right words, but it had the wrong spirit behind it. It had a spirit of fear that was governing it. And or they would say it and it sounded hollow. It sounded empty. And uh I want you to know it's not enough to say the right words. There has to be the spirit of faith behind those words. Not the fear, not the mental harassment, not the torment. Amen. There has to be the sound of faith with the words that are coming out. Amen. Amen. There's no tear in the voice. Amen. Because faith doesn't have a tear in its voice. Now, don't misunderstand me. Uh, There are times the Spirit of God will come on you and you might weep in the presence of God, but that's not a fearful weep. Right? right. So uh, God's first prescription for changing a failing nation to a succeeding nation was this. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. It's got to become a lifestyle. This isn't something we just try on Sundays. If it's only something we're mindful of on Sundays, we'll fail throughout the rest of the week. This has to be made our lifestyle. It doesn't matter that we know it. We have to do it. Amen. Amen. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Now the second step in the prescription of success, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Meditation is dealing with your thought life. Meditation is dealing with where, what you hold your attention on. If you have an undisciplined attention you will have a weakened faith. Dad Hagen used to say this to us. He would say, if someone dies prematurely, a believer, don't touch it in your thought life. How come? Why? 
because he said, if you touch the wrong thing or put your attention on the wrong thing, it will weaken your faith because you'll begin to reason. The devil will give you thoughts and the mind will begin to reason. Well, they've been saved longer than me. My gosh, they serve close to the pastor. My goodness, they've been used by God to prophesy. I've never been used by God to prophesy. And so they start doubting and losing confidence in their ability to believe God just because someone else didn't receive. Those are wrong. That's wrong thoughts. That is an attention that has been left to run wild. And if you're going to have strong faith, if you're going to arrive at the fulfillment of God's plan, if you're going to succeed at what God authored for your life, you have to hold a tight rein on your attention. Because when you're faced with a test, the devil will parade about 20 testimonies of people who failed, who were faced with the same test. You'll remember from childhood, the neighbor you only spoke to once. I mean, the devil will energize the memory to help you recall so that you start thinking wrong and doubting that you too can receive what you need. And he'll parade all the failures of people in front of you to make you, to cause your faith to be weakened and, and to hopefully get you to doubt. But what you have to do when he starts parading failures, you have to start parading successes. Parade the word, parade and rehearse the times. No, devil, I remember. You, you remember when someone died prematurely. I remember when someone was healed. I remember how God blessed me years ago. I remember how he moved in my family. I remember. And this is what you, a, a disciplined attention does. It, it dictates what you're going to allow your mind to meditate on. And this is what God said to Joshua. You're going to have to deal with these people's thought lives because they kept thinking, I want to go back to Egypt. The second generation heard the first generation parents talk about, I want to go back. I want to go back. Oh, it was so good in Egypt. We had flesh pots there. Yeah, but they didn't talk about the master with the whip that stood behind the flesh pot. They forgot that part. You see, they, they all, the devil will cause you to just remember portions, not the whole thing. And this second generation heard their parents constantly want to go back, want to go back, want to go back. Uh, over in Hebrews, it says, talking about these, our heroes of faith, and it said, if they would have been mindful of the country they came out of, they would have had an opportunity to go back. I remember years ago, there was somebody that came and they worked with our ministry. This was years ago. Before they came and worked for us, they worked for a very well-known ministry. And this was a ministry that had lots of money and uh, had lots of, you know, a, a loud voice in the body of Christ, which was great. And because he started as a young man with a very hefty salary from this ministry. Well, that's great. They gave you a car. They gave you a hefty salary. But that's not always how ministries start. He came in when the ministry was up and thriving and mature. And so he had the idea that everything had to have this healthy of a salary. 
and the benefits, but we didn't have the, the years of maturity and growth and development behind us that this other ministry had. So God sent him to help us and he was a blessing to us, but every six months he would come in, you know, and he'd talk about, I just don't make what I make over there. I should, you know, it was so good. I mean, I had a car, I had a, it just talking about what he used to have. But do you also remember that God told you to leave there? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> do you also remember? That's right. Because you weren't getting fed right. There were some things your life was missing that no salary will make up for. That no car furnished you would make up for. And what he would do, the devil would parade this salary and this car that was a company car given him. And every time he would get under financial pressure, he would go back to thinking about this. And the word of the Lord came to me one day and said, you tell him that if he keeps talking about what he was brought out of, he will have opportunity to go back. In other words, if you talk about the wrong thing, you're going back to the wrong thing. Why would people talk about the wrong thing? They meditate on the wrong thing. They think about and they don't have a disciplined attention and they don't remember right. (laughs) There's this one friend of mine and she talks about that her dad and mom, you know, they, her dad had lived out his life. And well, actually, I say that wrong. He did not live out his life because he was called to preach and, and he was in the ministry for a time and then turned around and walked out of it and ended up dying prematurely. And because he was not fulfilling what he was born for, he was hard to live with. You know, when you're dissatisfied, you start taking it out on people around you. And you think if I can just get a new wife or a new car or a new house, but we'll get a, get a new car, get a new house, keep your old wife. And (laughs) the only thing is you take, you, you go to get a new car, new house, new wife. You just took you with it though. And there's the problem. And so she said her dad was not easy to live with. And the mother had a very difficult life trying to keep him pleased. And it made life hard for her. And so she said the only thing is when he died, she said, really, my mom's life became easier because she had financial help, you know, and she did not have to try to please a man that was so dissatisfied inside that no one could please because his insides were unsettled and said, if you listen to my mother talk now, that man was the greatest saint that ever walked on the earth. And she said, I have to constantly remind her. Oh, I just miss him so much. She said, mother, do you not remember the hell we lived in at home because of the way he treated people and talked? Mother, you need to remember correctly so that you think right and don't get troubled by what is not presently around your life. So many people do not see the blessing of God that he is moving in their life because they remember the past wrongly. The Egypt, the the Israelites remembered Egypt wrong. And they kept talking about, I want to go back. I want to go back. Why? They romanticized at a time of difficulty. They pulled out anything good of their past memories and tried to define their whole past with that good when there was far less good than, uh, than should have been, than should have been desired. Amen. 
If you have an undisciplined thought life, you'll think wrong about things. It's always been a head scratcher to me and every pastor will face it in some measure. People that have come and I'm thinking of just one couple in particular. God brought them, moved them from another state to be a part of our congregation. And God gave this man a thriving job. I mean, he was making like four times what he was making at his previous location. Their child had a incurable condition. And within a few months, their child is healed. Why? Because they got in the place God told them. They began to grow and spiritually develop. But all of a sudden, one time, they didn't like one thing I said in a sermon and picked up and left over one thing because they forgot all the right things and just held on to one thing they didn't agree with. I can't tell you the number of times. I mean, I got an email some time back from a, a family that they were part of our church and they were a sweet family, but financial pressure came to them. And they picked up and left the church and went and lived with family to save money. But in saving money, they lost their spiritual life. Their faith weakened and weakened and weakened. And after about eight years, he sent me a he sent me an email and he said, I want you to know since I since I left the church, he said, I have had nothing but heart problems. And he says, I am basically on the, on my deathbed. And he says, I recognize that I left the church to save money. What is this? Wrong thinking. The devil wants to get you thinking wrong. You will not arrive at the fullness of what God has by having an unguarded thought life. If you're going to walk in the fullness of God's plan, you have to guard your thought life. Well, I don't like what the the pastor did. I don't like what the pastor said. You remember your child that was healed here? Do you remember your marriage that was restored? Do you remember how God fed your life with the word here? You better remember the right thing when the wrong thing is offered you. I just can't tell you the number of times that people have left the blessing of God just because they failed to remember the right thing. Amen. And this is what God is teaching him. He said, you've got to teach these people to think on the right things. They keep remembering the wrong thing wrongly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Romanticizing Egypt, talking good about it. Right. Right. Mm. That's right. Did they not remember that when they left, it was in a state of ruin? Yeah. 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 You go back, it's not going to be as it used to be. You try to recapture something of the past, it's never going to look like it used to. Yes. They've seen too many clouds by day and pillars by night to go back and live like you hadn't seen that. After we've been under sitting under the word, we can't go stepping back spiritually. We're going to have to remember too much light has come to our life to go back and live satisfied to in the place God delivered us out of. Amen. So he said, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. Meditation drives the word of God into your spirit. If the word just stops with your mind, it's got, listen, your mind is the gateway to your spirit. It's got to reach beyond your mind and get down into your spirit. 
it gets down into your spirit through meditating on it, talking about it, rehearsing it to yourself, thinking about it. Worry is meditation in the negative direction. Have you ever, have you ever had a, maybe a situation with somebody that you were going to have to handle? Whether it's somebody on the job or a relative or something and you're driving to go have a meeting or some kind of encounter with them. And on the way over there, you're thinking, okay, they said this, I said that. Now, where we're at now, if they say this, I'm going to say that. And, but if they go this direction, I'm going to say this. But if they go back and pull up the pass, I'm going to pull this. Uh, you know, what is it? That's meditation. You're playing out something. And if you meditate the wrong direction, you get out of the car and you're all worked up and you haven't had a conversation because you have already accused them of conversations of your imagination. (laughs) And you get up and I mean, you're breathing hard. And you go, how did I start breathing this hard? You were worked up. You meditated on something and it stirred. Yes. It started stirring your passions, your anger, your whatever. And then all of a sudden your tone is completely different from the time you got out of the car from the time you first got in the car. All because of meditations. Well, if that will do that to your passions, just naturally think how spiritually how it will stir your faith to meditate on the right thing. How it will stir your joy or your peace to meditate on the right thing. So, you have to make the word yours. It's not enough that God has it in him. We have to have his word in us. Meditation is how we drive it down into our own spirits. This is, have you ever needed to believe God for something? Let's say there was an unexpected bill and it was a large number and you go, you know, you feel overwhelmed at trying to believe for that. You want to know why you feel overwhelmed? You're trying to believe with your mind. Anytime you have a sense of overwhelming, I'm overwhelmed at trying to believe it's because you're trying to do it with your mind. That's good. When you're believing with your, with your heart, there's a rest. There's not an overwhelming sense about you. You don't feel overwhelmed. And so this is why it's so important. We've got to get the, mind, the, the word beyond the mind and down into the spirit. Because it's when the word is abiding in the heart of man, in the spirit of man, that it becomes a living thing and starts producing for you. So one of the the major things about meditation is it drives the word into your spirit and it seems like it's yours. Yes. People say, well, I tried that faith stuff and it doesn't work. No, you have to take time to make the word yours. And meditation is what makes the word seem real to you. It's not just words on a page, but that's my word from God. Amen. And you can't spend what isn't yours. And people will try to spend a verse that they haven't taken time to make theirs. Meditation makes it yours. To where it's real to you. It's a living thing to you.
So meditation drives the word into your spirit. Meditation also, uh, it helps you control, as I said, what you're thinking on. Can I tell you this? When he says this, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. The number one way to keep the word in your mouth is through meditation. Because you're laying in bed muttering it to yourself, driving down the road, speaking it to yourself. It's not just a confession you're making to someone. It's what you're saying to yourself when no one else is around. Listen, the Holy Spirit is a performer. He's a performer. That's what he's sent here to do is perform. To perform what? God's words. Amen. He's not sent here to perform the words that originate with us. He's here to perform God's word. And when, our, when we have taken time to make God's word our word, and we speak God's word, now he can perform those words even though they're coming out of our mouth. Yes. Amen. Because he's here as a performer. Amen. Whenever uh, in creation... In Genesis, it says, the Amplified Translation says that when the earth was without form and void, it says that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep, hovering. See, he's just present. What's he doing? He's waiting for something. What's he waiting for? For words. And when God said, let there be light, or as the original says, light be, when God said that, then he performed that. That's why this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth because if it stays in your mouth and you're speaking it all the time, you're giving the Holy Spirit something to perform all the time. Amen. When we take a day off from speaking, he takes a day off from performing. The day we speak the word is the day he can perform the word. Amen. Amen. He's here to work with us as the word is in our mouth. Amen. And so whenever you speak the word from your spirit, then he can perform that. The word that's spoken from your mind has no faith attached to it. Now, don't misunderstand me. Your spirit needs the word, but your mind needs the word. But that's called the renewing of the mind, not believing with the mind. The mind cannot be believed with. The mind can only be renewed. What's that, what's that mean to have the mind renewed? It means that the mind comes into agreement with your spirit. Instead of arguing with what's in your spirit, it comes into agreement with your spirit. Dad Hagen made this statement. He said, a spiritual giant is simply one whose heart and mind are in agreement. Amen. Amen. Haven't you, had one, haven't you in your heart you knew something, but your mind was giving you fits? In your heart, let's say you knew God told you to give that person $100, but your mind is saying, I can't give $100. I need it. See, that's because there's something lacking. Your mind is arguing with your spirit. And if you don't get that mind renewed, the renewed mind comes into agreement and quits arguing with your spirit. And as long as you, your mind argues with your spirit, it's going to hinder what's going to come out of your spirit. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So meditation on the word, it will drive that word down into your spirit. And I want you to know you have to meditate on the word, not just when the sun is shining. Because it's easy to meditate on the word when we're all sitting in church or we, you know, everything is good in life. All the bills are paid. But meditation is going to be tested at a time of opposition. And we have to learn, it says this, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate day and night. And night. 
When everything is in place and the sun is shining in the daytime, it's easy to meditate the right thing. But when there's something bombarding your mind, you're still going to have to have the discipline to meditate and only have the thoughts of the word dominating you. Amen. So we have to meditate all the time during a test. During a test, you have to watch your thought life more than you have to watch that thought life because it can derail you. I said it can totally derail you. Another thing about one of the benefits of meditation is this. It takes the limits off small thinking. This is huge. It takes the limits off small thinking. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. God can only take you as far as your thought life will give him permission. If you think that you can't ever have a house like that, you're right, you can't. You're right, you can't. And this is what doubt and unbelief will say. It'll say no person should have a house that nice. And faith will say everyone should have a house that nice. Right? Hallelujah. Meditating in the word takes the limits of small thinking. And I don't care how you were raised. No doubt you had wonderful parents or parents. And you say, well, I didn't have wonderful parents. Let me just say this. Your parents did the best they could. Amen. They did the best they could with where they were at. And you might have had a wonderful childhood, but I guarantee you, God's got more for you. And no matter how wonderful your childhood was, God doesn't want anything of your childhood to limit where he has for you to go. Now think about this. These people that God delivered out out of Egypt had a slavery mentality. I guarantee you, they had a struggle with thinking of ownership. Yes. But if you will meditate, God will turn you from renter to owner. Amen. Amen. If you'll see yourself, if you'll see yourself meditating, people will talk it. And it's fine to say, God's going to give me this house. God's going to give me this house. But if in your thought life, you think I can't ever, I don't know where I'm going to get the money, then you can't have it. Your meditation is what's going to turn you from renter to owner. And then those meditations, when you're meditating right, it will find its way into your mouth. There were, meditations are so important. Dad Hagen talked about when he was on his deathbed, God began dealing with him about he had to see himself healed. He had to see himself up and preaching. That after he got saved, he knew that he was called to preach. He even talked about that at some part when he was when he was uh, bedridden, that he wrote out several sermons. He was able to put together several sermons. And he said, I had to see myself up and preaching because he said what I used to do was lay in bed and imagine my death. He said, I imagined my funeral. He said, my my grandmother would come in and say, honey, you know, who do you want to be your pallbearers? Well, why? Because the doctor said that he could die any minute. There's no cure. Well, and they said, she said, what songs would you like sung? And he said, well, it doesn't seem to me that it matters to me what songs you're going to sing. He said, I'm not going to hear him sing something you like. Really? Sing something you like. You're the only one hearing it. 
He's saying, I'm not going to hear it in the grave. And so he said, I used to lay in bed and imagine my heart stopping beating. I used to imagine them uh, sitting in the church having my funeral ceremony. I used to imagine sitting there and watching my mother cry because I had died. He said, I imagine them carrying the casket out. I imagine them carrying it out to the place of burial, lowering it into the ground. I imagine the sound of dirt hitting the top of that casket. What was that? Meditations. He imagined that. But when he, when he started seeing the light of healing, he said, I had to quit. I, had to, I, I couldn't allow my mind to go that way. He said, I started imagining myself up and healed and preaching. Ed and I were in one particular, years ago we were in a, in a church and um, they brought a young man in who was 19 years old and he was a professional tennis player and he was getting ready to go on a circuit of just, you know, t- tournaments that they would play. And something that they had uh, put in place was that before every season of tournaments, all the players had to have a physical exam because it's strenuous on the body. And they wanted to make sure that they were in good physical condition to even start the circuit of tournaments. So he just went to the doctors as his standard physical exam that had to be done before the circuit of tournaments began. And he got there and they found out he had incurable cancer. He had no symptoms. Until they started running tests, they started finding things. And so before long, he, you know, it started escalating. And uh, when they brought him in to our meetings, he was, on his, he was on a bed. He was emaciated and unable to even walk. So my husband went in and laid hands on him. And uh, his family was in that church. I tell you, it matters where you attend church at a time like that. Matters, matters. It matters what you remembered. So he told his parents, get up, because I mean, in his tennis world, he was a star. He was a young man. He was a star in that circle. And he said, bring in one of the posters, because they had posters of him playing tennis. He said, bring in one of the posters and put it on the wall at the foot of my bed. And he laid in that bed and imagined himself and saw himself up again playing tennis. Because see, if he looked down at his body, he sees an emaciated body. But if he looks at the right thing, he sees a young man healthy up playing tennis. They sent him through all different kinds of medical treatments. But the parents and him kept at it. They kept just kept the word in the mouth. He kept his meditations right and he put a picture of himself at the foot of his bed to make sure that he had the right thing to look at. Yes. We went back the next year. My husband asked about him and said, well, let me tell you about him. The nurse that tended to him is in our church. They had a large church. And uh, after they said, he's not here right now, said he's on the tennis circuit. And said, the nurse said to him, when he got up and gave his testimony, she said it in the back room, said, I just want to tell you this. She said, because, not because I'm trying to make the medical field look bad, but because I want you to know what God did for you. She said, they used experimental drugs on you. They said they knew 
that these drugs, just the drugs themselves, should have killed you. But they knew you were going to die, and they wanted to see the effects of these things. And said they used, you know, I'm not trying to make them look bad. I'm just saying that in hopes of helping someone else, they've got to find out the scope and the range of certain treatments. And she said they used... They used drugs on you that were proven that it would shorten your life. God didn't just deliver you from cancer. He delivered you from that too. That's what, that's how great faith is. That's how great faith is. I said, that's how meditation, meditating, meditating, not only put his body back where it should be, it overcame anything that was being done against his body. Amen. Amen. Meditation. What if he would have just said things but not thought right? What if he would have just said, by his stripes I'm healed, but he just sat and looked at his body that was emaciated? Right. You see. Yeah. Small thinking is done away with through proper meditation. If you think that you can never have something, you can never have it. You have to see yourself with something. Can I tell you that one of the best things you can do? I, I, my husband, if you ever heard him say this, he'd say, go and lay in. He'd tell our congregation, go to Nordstrom's and lay down on the marble. In other words, he's saying, get around something that's more than what you have. Because if all you ever stay around is what you have, you'll only ever have what you have. And he was saying, get around these up, these, uh, you know, these higher end stores and stuff. Even if you can't afford to buy it, go look at it. Go desire it. Stir up something in you for it. Well, nobody should spend that much money on stuff. That's good limited thinking right there. That's right. That's a good example of limited thinking. Well, you know, you just, there's just certain things you shouldn't pay so much for. Keep going with those limits. Just keep going. All that's limits. Well, they shouldn't, they shouldn't spend that much on a car. Unless you paid for it, don't worry about it. If you didn't fund it, don't worry about it. But don't put your limits on somebody else's lack of limits. And call them wrong. Because they're not, they don't have your limits. Amen. Praise the Lord. Listen, we don't arrive at what God's authored for us with limits. We have to break limits off. Meditation breaks the limits off. As you're meditating, my God shall supply. It will get larger and larger in you and he will author things in you that you would have never dreamed of for yourself. Yes. Oh, yes. Amen. Can I, can I read you something? I just want to read you something just to make, twi- just to make poverty twist. Amen. Poverty is from hell. Jesus redeemed us from it. Poverty thinking did not come from God. Poverty thinking came from people who have no experience with, uh, with abundance. Yes. First Kings chapter four, verse 29. I want to read it. This is, uh, this is the amplified. First Kings chapter four, verse 29. 
the Amplified says this. I love this. And God, that's referring to Solomon. And God gave Solomon exceptionally much wisdom and understanding. Listen to this next phrase. And gave him breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore. Ah, if he was going to have the wisdom that no other man had had, he had to have a different mind than other men. And God gave him a mind that was unlike other men. Breadth of mind. What's breadth mean? It means there's nothing, there's no limits. If something is broad and it's broad and it's broad and it's broad, that means the limits are, are not confining, right? His limits got off his thinking. Limits off of his thinking. I like what the King, the, the King James says this. And God gave Solomon largeness of heart. Yes. Ah, so the heart has to be enlarged. Yes. Meditation enlarges the heart. Amen. It enlarges your spirit to lay hold of more. But it also, it gives you breadth of mind. It takes the limits off of thinking. Okay, now I want to read to you out of 2 Chronicles chapter 9. Go with me. This is in your Bible. I didn't make this up. 2 Chronicles chapter 9. 2 Chronicles chapter 9 and look at verse 13. I'm going to read out of the Good News translation. It's worded just because it's, it's easier English to follow. 2 Chronicles chapter 9. I firmly believe it's going to list here the wealth of Solomon. I, there's a purpose God put it in here. You know what it is? To make poverty twist. Yes. Limited thinking. Mm-hmm. Twist. It says here uh, in verse 13, King Solomon's wealth. Every year, King Solomon received over 25 tons of gold. Every year. Think of that. Every year that he's king, he received 25 tons of gold. Well, there's 2,000 pounds in one ton. One ton is 2,000 pounds. That's 50, 50, but it's 50,000 pounds of gold every year. 25 tons. It's 50,000. 2,000 times 25 is 50,000. 50,000 pounds of gold a year. Now, King Solomon, now this, this isn't the verse. This, I'm, doing, I'm going to explain this verse 13. King Solomon ruled from 970 B.C. to 931 B.C. 39 years he was on the throne. So for 39 years, he received 50,000 tons of gold. Can I tell you? I mean, 50,000 pounds of gold. Can I tell you how much that is? In pounds, not tons. One million, nine hundred, five, nine, one. It's say, it's say, no, 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 no. That's not the number I got. No, that's different. <laughs> 
current market rates. Oh, at current market rates. He said he's on current market. Okay, current market rates. One point two billion a year. One point two billion a year in in, in, in current current times. Current times. In his time, in his no. Sorry, sorry. A hundred and one million nine hundred and fifty thousand pounds. Oh my God. In 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 thirty nine years, one million nine hundred and fifty thousand pounds of gold. One arm of wealth. That's one arm. That's not the totality. That's one arm. That's just the Say it again in today's terms. Forty-six trillion. Eight hundred million. Eight hundred million dollars in today's terms. One man. And and you're talking about I I can't pay that much for that dress. What? Forty-six trillion. How did he have these limits off his thinking? Breadth of mind, breadth of mind. Breath he, of the mind. limits broken off the thought life. The limits of how you were raised, the limits of where you were raised, yes. the limits of your country, the limits of your culture, all, the limits of your lack of education. The limits, the limits, there's so many limits, everything around you trying to limit. Meditation busts off limits. If you don't meditate, you will always struggle financially. Your church will do without things your church should have. The pastor's vision needs breadth of mind. Yes, yes, That when, whatever, whatever God has for this for the future of this place, another building or whatever. If your pastors want marble on the floor, bless God, I know where we can get some linoleum. <laughs> well, that's fine. Go. I'm not against linoleum, but if that don't don't put your limits on where your pastor's vision that came from God can go. And people will get offended and leave churches. I've seen it so many times. They're just being excessive. God listed this and he wasn't, he was not offended at Solomon's wealth. You know what Jesus said about Solomon? He said that the lilies of the field and all this stuff that, uh, that they're here today and gone tomorrow, that Solomon was not arrayed like one of these. With all that he had, he was not arrayed like one of these. What's that mean? The lilies of the field got everything God had for him. Solomon didn't. With all he had, he still never got all God had for him. Listen, no limits is not going to offend God. It's where he lives. He's limitless. God likes abundance. Look at stars. How many of them are there? Now, God, listen, the word said about King Solomon, breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore. Go ahead, calculate the sand of the seashore. Go ahead. You know what that means? You could not, uh, Solomon's mind, the, 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 as far as he could think, could not be calculated. 
There's other scriptures that talk about that he had a love, and I don't, I don't know the exact wording, but basically his interest went to animals, to plants, to everything around him in this world he had an interest in. What was that? Breath of mind. He wasn't limited and didn't think something was unimportant. Praise Bible. Bible. So we said... 1,950,000 pounds of gold in 39 years, which is 46 billion, trillion, excuse me, 46 trillion, 800 million. Why don't you put that number on your refrigerator? Look at that every day. God did not list this to say, well, Everybody's not going to arrive at this. But what he's saying is this is what no limits will do for you. Verse 14. You ready for the next verses? In addition to the taxes paid by the traders and merchants. (laughs) He got taxes on every trader and merchant that came in. He got it. The kings of Arabia. And the governors of the Israelite districts also brought him silver and gold. They brought him more of what he already had. (laughs) Solomon made 200 large shields. Each of them was covered with about 15 pounds of beaten gold. Just the shields. 15 pounds of beaten gold. If I was a soldier, I'd say, I'll just take my shield to my bedroom tonight. (laughs) Start whittling off a little bit. So how heavy was the shield? Just the gold on it weighed 15 pounds, not to mention the material under it that was, it was covering. (laughs) Verse 16, and 300 smaller shields, each covered with eight pounds of beaten gold. So he wanted to send his soldiers out. Look at wealth, baby. This is what you're going to fight against. This is what you're going to lose against. Can you imagine the scene that that caused when you went out to face, a, face a, an army? Yeah. You know what God said to Solomon? He said, your enemy, it'll be years of, years of peace. Why? Enemies are going to see your wealth and say, I'm not touching him. Yeah. I don't have enough to come against him. Yeah. Yeah. Verse 17, the king also had a large throne made. Part of it was covered with ivory. Where's ivory come from? Elephants. Elephant tusks. You think those were around the block? <laughs> They're not tied up down the street somewhere. Where are they? Different countries. Yeah. You think they just, these were months of trips to go get these kinds of things. Part of it was covered with ivory. The rest of it was covered with pure gold. Six steps led up to the throne. And there was a footstool attached to the throne, covered with gold. Sure it was. (laughs) (laughs) There were arms on each side of the throne. And the figure of a lion stood at each side of the throne. Twelve figures of lions were on the steps one at either end of each step. No throne like this had ever existed in any other kingdom. 
All of King Solomon's drinking cups were made of gold. All the utensils were of pure gold. Silver was not considered valuable in Solomon's day. <laughs> Why is something not valuable? There's so much of it. It had no, it had no value. It was everywhere. Verse 21, he had a fleet of ocean-going ships. Sure he did. <laughs> Every three years, his fleet would return. For 39 years, he had ships circling the earth. You get back here in three years and unload it. Three years in gathering from other places, other locations, all the wealth. Every three years, you come back and you unload it all. For 39 years, this happened. Every three years, his fleet would return bringing gold, sure, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. Wow. You know what? This? It shows his interest was in every arena. His interest was in every arena. You have a monkey? Well, they don't have no monkeys in Egypt. They don't have my monkeys there. You know they came from, I went to somewhere good to get this. I go where you don't. That's what that monkey showed. I go where you don't. That's a status symbol. You think it's an animal. This is like, let me show you what's on the other side of the world that you'll never see. That's exactly, he would display. Praise the Lord. I'd like, yeah, a monkey, that'd be all right. Don't get somebody to clean the cage. Verse 22. King Solomon was richer and wiser than any other king in the, wor in, in the world. They all consulted him to hear the wisdom that God had given him. What was the, how could he have the wisdom of God that everyone was after? No limits. Verse 24, each of them brought Solomon gifts, articles of silver, gold, robes, weapons, spices, horses and mules. This continued year after year. King Solomon also had 4,000 stalls. Think of 4,000. You know how much land mass that takes up? 4,000 stalls for his chariots and horses and had 12,000 cavalry horses. He was supreme ruler of all the kings in the territories. Verse 27, during his reign, silver was, in, was as common in Jerusalem as stone, and cedar was as plentiful as ordinary sycamore. Meditate on that a little bit when you go to start a business. That's in the word. Part of the word, God put it in there for a purpose. Why? To help break limits off of thinking. Mm -hmm. Now, let me say this. All this is natural. You know what it is? It's fleeting. It'll end up in a heap of ashes. And it still didn't offend God that he had a big heap. If God will do this for that which is fleeting... How much more for something connected to his purpose and his plan for your life with spiritual things? How much, how much, how much more healings? How much more miracles? How much more supply to fund what he's doing? 
Let me tell you what limited thinking. My husband and I, uh, we've owned lovely homes throughout our lives. And uh, right before Ed died, a couple years before Ed died, God told me to sell the home we were in. It was a lovely home. It was 8,000 square feet. Ed built on another 8,000. It's on five acres. It was up in the mountains. It was lovely. And he had a 12-car garage. He had all kinds of stuff because he liked cars. He liked things. And he would bring up the, the pastors and he would say, I bring you here not to show off but to be an example of what your future can look like if you'll be faithful to the Word. That's what he would do. Why? Because God needs examples. Can I tell you God needs examples of prosperity? You want to know why? There's enough examples of poverty. God needs examples of prosperity. Not for show off, but to say, listen, there's no limits in God. He's not going to tell you, you can't have that. You can't have that. But what he will do, he'll grow you, develop you, help you mature so that you can handle these things without them distorting you. So God told us, a couple years before I went home to be with the Lord, sell this home, and it was that large home. And so he gave us another home, and the home was lovely. It was a smaller home, but I, I, I learned this. Really, that home, when we, when we bought it, was appraised more than the other one because downsize down, down doesn't mean downgrade. Yes. 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 But God, did not, God knew what was coming, and he didn't want me left with this large property. So um, I'm in, I was in the home and then God and then Ed went home to be with the Lord and then God told me I have another home for you. And so that's when he started dealing with me about Amy Sub McPherson's home. And of course, that one needs a renovation. So my plan was this. I've got a certain amount of money. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get a loan, buy the home, and then I'm going to take the cash I have and renovate it. There it's completely ready to be lived in because I've renovated it before I move in. So that's what I'm thinking. And there was a delay in the pastor getting back to me. There was a delay in the, in the house going into escrow. It just kept going on month after month after month. Finally, I went out for a walk. With, I went on a, on a walk with God, and I started talking to Him. I said, "God, it seems like it's being wrongfully delayed. It's not like it's it, it's on your time schedule. It seems like I'm getting behind in your time schedule." And He said. I don't want you to finance the home. I want you to pay cash for the home. Mm -hmm. See, what was it? I was bringing my mentality of how we did homes of the past yes. into this season. And God was wanting me in a paid for mentality, but I was thinking of a financing mentality. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't tell you all that went with that. There were reasons and lots of other things. So for the first time in my life, I paid cash for a home. And I already own, we have a 40-acre ranch in Colorado that's wonderful. That house is paid for. There's a little bit owed on the land still, but the home itself is paid for. And uh, then I had this other home that I purchased before I, I was in, before I got Sister Amy's home. So now I've got three homes. Yes. So then I think, okay, then I will sell the home that I, I was in before the one I bought Sister Amy's. I'll sell that. I'll renovate that. I'll, I'll sell it. Then there's my renovation money. But I remember when I was uh, in Russia and your pastors were there, God, in a, in a dream one night, God spoke to me. And he said, the renovation for your home is going to take all your, all your faith and all your money. And I thought, why all my money? 
<laughs> Why all my faith? Because if I sell this house, it will, I have enough equity, it's enough to fully renovate that home. But it shouldn't take all my faith or all my money. It just takes one sale. Yeah, yeah. Well, so there I'm sitting and I'm going, here it's been, I, I've owned the home since 2015. I didn't move into it till 2016. And I didn't have the go ahead in the Holy Ghost to go ahead with the renovation. And so then it dawned on me, this home that is so lovely that I'm trying to sell, it's like one of the best homes. It's a gated community. It's one of the best homes, fabulous homes. I mean, when we went to buy it there in 30 days, they had 10 offers on it. That's how desirable it was. And I had it on the market two years and couldn't get a, couldn't get a bite on the thing. So finally I go, maybe it's not the devil holding up. Maybe it's God reserving. And it dawned on me and it came up in my spirit. I said to my family, I said, I'm not done with that home. So I took it off the market and I decided I'm keeping the home. I'm keeping the home. I don't have to live in it to keep it. Where did we get the thinking that you can only own own a home you live in? Yeah, that's good. The home I moved, that home that I had on the market is three minutes from the church. It's in a gated community. It's perfect for guest ministers. If Brother Copeland comes, he has to have security teams. It's perfect. It's got two separate casitas. Do you know what casitas are out here? Casitas are like separate guest homes. It has, it has this huge courtyard and there's two guest homes that are off that and then, a, then, the, then the rest of the homes. So they, they don't even have to come into your home. They can have their own living quarters. It's just a great setup. And it dawned on me, I'm not going to sell the home. I'm going to save it for ministers and then I'll renovate. Just now I know why God said it'll take all your faith and all your money to renovate because now I don't have that resource. And it dawned on me that the resource of selling that home, the previous home, then it dawned on me. I've got to get rid of the thinking that to buy something, I got to sell something. Yes, 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 Because yes. we get the mentality that if I get something new, I got to get rid of something old. That's right. So I decided, you know what? I think God's dealing with me about keeping that home, not getting rid of it. I had a, a minister come up to me at one of my conferences and, and squatted down beside me at a dinner table. And he said, Pastor Nancy, have you ever thought of not selling that home that you're trying to sell? I said, I sure enough have. And he said, I believe God's dealing with you about not selling it. And I said, he don't have to deal any longer. I'm just, I'll keep it. After I decided I'm not going to sell the previous home to have the current castle renovated, just within weeks, I step on the front patio of the castle coming home from a trip about 1030 at night and the anointing drops on me. And I said, God, what is that anointing for? He said, that's the grace to renovate. Notice when I took off my limited thinking. Now the grace to renovate comes. When my, my, when my thinking was, I've got to sell this to have this, the grace didn't come. The anointing didn't come on me. Why? Because God wasn't blessing that thinking. Yes. God wanted me to change my thinking and he wouldn't allow me to renovate until I changed my thinking. Because yes. he didn't want me to get rid of something he had in mind for me to keep. Why? Because he wants examples of people taking the limits off. Yes. Not only that, Personally, financially, I was at the lowest point personally of just ready, available cash. Mm -hmm. 
I go, now, then he says, now it's time to renovate. <laughs> when you're at your lowest point financially, now it's time to renovate. Why? Because now we know it's not me, it's him. It's him. It's him. Too many times people won't start something until they get cash. It's, if you got enough cash, uh, something's off. Something's off. Your, plan, your vision's not big enough. Something's not large enough. If you can fund it, God's got something bigger. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. I said praise the Lord. Well, let's move along. You want to move along? I wanted to read that passage because we have to quit thinking the way we were raised and think the way God authors. Amen. Hallelujah. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate. So what does meditating do? It drives the word down into your spirit. It does. It takes the limits off small thinking. Amen. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Now, here we go. So that thou mayest, mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. God's not just trying to arrive you at right talking. He's not just trying to arrive you at right thinking. He's trying to arrive you at right doing, right actions. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Uh, speaking right is a right action, but that's not the totality of right actions. He wants our lives filled with faith acts and things that we are doing. Amen? So the divine order of the prescription of success is the word has to be in your mouth, has to be in your thought life, and now your actions of faith will work. This is where some people say, I don't, I, I, I don't understand that faith message. That faith message doesn't work for me because they go out and try to take faith actions without the word having been in their mouth and in their meditations. There was a minister that came to Rhema years ago and he was telling the students early on in his ministry, he was telling the students how he had been feeding. I mean, just God was giving him such revelation of faith. And I mean, he was just... His, his life and his ministry was showing the fruit of that. And uh, he had come out of a lot of debt. He'd come out of a lot of poverty. And he had an old car that was not in such great condition. And God told him one day to sow that car to someone. And so he did. Within a day or two, somebody gave him a brand new car. The students at Ramah that he was preaching heard the phrase brand new car. <laughs> so they thought, I'm going to give away my car and I'll get a brand new car because that's how you get a new car. You give away your old one. That's what they heard. What they didn't pay attention to was how he was feeding on the word, how he was meditating on the word. And then the spirit said to him, when it says that thou mayest observe to do let your doing be led by the Spirit. It's Spirit-led actions. It's not you thinking up something to try to get faith or to try to prove you have faith. Faith does not come by acting. There's a lot of people who need a healing. They need a miracle. And they will go and throw out their medicine to try to, if I could say this, force healing to happen. And then they got to go rebuy re it. Yeah. Or some 
just run into all kinds of difficulties because they got off something. Why? Because they took, it was an act, yes, but it wasn't a spirit-led act. It was a calculated act. The Holy Ghost will lead you in the acts to take. Those are the acts that are going to work the actions of faith because the Holy Spirit will lead you in line with your measure of faith and your measure of faith comes by how much you're saying it and how much you're meditating on it. Yes, amen. Amen. And so Dad Hagen had to get up and tell these students, quit giving away your cars. He said they would go for a year and a half. They were in their two years of school. He said most of them that gave away their car for a year and a half, they're walking. Why? Because they acted without the leading of the spirit. They acted without their mouth full of the word. They acted without meditations of the word. And therefore their actions didn't work. And then they say the faith stuff doesn't work. No, you didn't work the faith stuff. You worked something you figured out and you cannot force the hand of God to do something by an act. Can I tell you, actions flow out of fullness. When will the Holy Ghost tell you to act? When your mouth is full and when your meditations are full of what God is saying to you. Amen. Then the Holy Ghost will lead you to act. God told me in uh, February of 2014, God told me I'm going to give you Sister Amy's house. 2014, February. So what I did is I spent every day that I was home, I would go sit in front of the house and look at it and talk to it. And I would say, God's going to give me the money for that home. The angels are working to bring that into my hands. God's, I'm going to live in that home. The plan of God is at home. I had to see myself in that. I had to, it had to become real in here, not just something God said. It had to be something living and alive in me. How did I do it? I went and looked at it. I talked to it. I got it in me. Amen. It's not something you just think of one day and all of a sudden you're in it. You have to. You have to meditate to get that thing alive in you. And so then toward the end of 2014, God said in January, make an offer. He didn't tell me that in February 20, uh, 2014, he didn't say uh, when he said, I'm going to give you that house. I didn't go and try to buy it that day. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I know, although he said it, I don't have a handle on it in here. Yeah, yeah. He's giving me time to fill up mm-hmm. through speaking it through meditating on it. And then when I got full, then the spirit said in January, go make an offer on the house. You see, he's directing my actions. When is he going to tell me to act when I'm full? How? Well, you know, I'm just believing God for this and believing God for that. And the Holy Ghost hadn't told me when to do it. It's because he's waiting for you to get full. Get full through speaking it and through meditating on it. People will say this. Well, we had one man years ago that was in our church and somebody came in and they, a guest minister and prophesied to him. And he says, I got a drawer full of those prophecies that don't come to pass. Well, see, prophecies equal work. What is the work you have to do? Joshua 1, 8. You have to speak it. You have to meditate on it. You have to get full of what God is saying to you. When you get full of it, then the Holy Ghost will tell you when to act. And if your prophecies have not come to pass, it's because you're not full. 
of what he said to you. You got to get it full in you. God said to me uh, in 2016, February of 2016, I had, I was getting ready to move into the castle and God said, I'm going to make you rich as an example. Well, I think I'm pretty rich, but I guarantee you there's a lot further richer I want to go. Why? So I can feel good about myself? No. As an example, the body of Christ needs to know what God will do for them. Amen. God, God needs examples. You know what? I say, to my, I say all the time, God's going to make me rich as an example. God's going to make me rich as an example. Why? I got to get full of that. Why hasn't he done it yet? I'm not full yet. Amen. If you want something, get full of it. How do you fill up with it? In your mouth, in your meditations. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the example I use of it is this. Have you ever seen an old time rifle or a movie where they show the old time rifles of the muskets? Mm -hmm. And what do they do with the musket? First of all, they have to load it. Yeah. The way they would load those is they would pour gunpowder down. Then they would put a bullet in. Then they would take a paper wad. And, and put it on top of all that. That step is called the word in your mouth. You're loading your gun, mm -hmm. your tongue. You're loading it, speaking the word. You're loading it. After they pour in the gunpowder, the bullet, the paper wad, they take a long iron rod and they, what do they do? What are they doing? They're packing it down. They're compressing it. Why? Because if you don't pack it down, it's not going to be accurate. Right. They can fire it and they will not hit the target. It doesn't matter that you load it if you miss. That's what meditation is. It's packing the word down. The word that you've loaded in your mouth, you're packing it down into your spirit through meditating. And then the Holy Ghost will tell you, now pull the trigger. When did they ever pull the trigger? Not till after they had loaded it and packed it. This is, it's not just going out and making random faith acts, trying to force something to happen. You have to make sure that the gun of your spirit is loaded. The, the gun of your tongue is loaded and pack it down into your heart. And then when the Holy Ghost says, now do it, you'll hit the target every time. It will, it will work every single time. Now, let's bring this back around to what God said to us about this season. It's time for miracles. Yes, it won't happen because God said it. We have to get full of it. Yes, How do we get full of it? We have to speak it. We have to meditate on it. Because you can go out and try to act and try to force miracles, but if you don't have it, in your mouth and in your heart. Amen. Why don't you, why don't you speak when I lay hands on the sick? They recover because in case you don't know it, every believer is authorized. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Well, nobody ever gets healed when I lay hands on them. That's because your weapon's not sharp. Sharpen up. The sword of the spirit. Sharpen it up. Amen. Get full. Load your gun. Pack it down. Amen. Amen. So you need, you need to speak. When I lay hands on people, God heals them. Yes. He authorized me. I'm a blessing to be able to go and lay hands on people. I'm not afraid to do it. I, I'm blessed to be able to Amen. do it. He said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I lay hands on people and they recover according to the word of God. And then see yourself. Lay in bed and see yourself. You don't have to see certain people, but you can see people that are hurting, people that, uh, humanity, and see yourself laying hands on people. Amen. Yeah. See yourself doing that. 
Amen. Being a blessing. Because miracles are not just for, are not just for pastors. They're for congregations. They're for all of us. You know, you need to talk about the next, the next building God has for this church. You need to talk about it. God has, pastor, God has another, another place for us. And it's going to meet all of our needs. And all the money's going to be there. And then you meditate on these things. Amen. Don't just wait until the time the building is needed. Because if you do, you're going to be behind. God, God talks to your pastor now so it gives us time to get full. Not just because we're clocking time waiting for God to give it. God is giving time for us to get full. Amen. It's time for miracles. We have to talk about it. Pastor, we're going to have miracles in our church, aren't we, Pastor? Yeah, we're going to have miracles. Amen. This is why you need to, you need to watch on YouTube some of these old uh, 50s yes. healing, yes. healing evangelists yes. that they laid hands and you watch different crippled people walk off and, yes. and all these things that can be really seen. Get full of it. Fill up with it. All these things that God's going to do in your congregation, get full of it. Yes. Amen. Everything God wants to do for your life, get full of it. How do you get full of it? The word in your mouth, meditating on it, and then following the spirit and acting when he tells you to act. Amen. Stand with me to your feet. Are you helped tonight? Yes. Hallelujah. This is how we arrive at success. We load our tongues. We load our spirits. And then the Holy Ghost will direct us in our acting. Father, we thank you for your word. If it weren't for your word, we wouldn't know these things. But we are so grateful to know these things. That success is not automatic and random. It's very much on purpose. Just as a farmer, he sows a seed. It's not a surprise that he gets a harvest. It's very much a certain procedure to take. Father, your word shows us certain steps to be taken. We believe what you say. We agree with your word that it's time for miracles. We believe in the power of God that will work those miracles. But Father, we also release our faith. We fill ourselves up. We fill our mouths up with your word. We fill our spirits up. We pack your word down into our spirits. We drive it in. It is our life. We thank you for your word. Follow, Father, everything that you have for this church, we receive it. We receive it. We don't have to know all that's contained to receive it. We receive the fullness of the plan that you have for this place. And Father, we join our pastor in speaking it. We join our pastor in meditating on the things that you have for this place. And then when it's time to move ahead and step up into different levels, then we're ready to move with you. We thank you, Father. We so thank you. Father, healing, miracles are part of this era. They're the flow of this era. And Father, we choose to be used by you. We yield to you. We are authorized to be a blessing to people. We're going to act on what we're authorized to do. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you for it, Father.